Hello, my lovely listeners, and welcome to a brand new episode of Health by Heather Hirsch. In today's episode, I want to talk about why you might be dismissed by your doctor, especially when you talk about not just menopause and perimenopause, but what to do about your labs and what to do about treatment, especially hormone therapy. That's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. This is a huge, huge, huge problem. It's something that I'm going to be absolutely addressing in my book and giving you antidotes and some of the craziest things I have heard from you and my patients in the office. So if you're interested, stick around for this week's show. Welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. So great to be podcasting today. I love my new setup. I told you about it a couple episodes ago. I just swing this arm over and like, bam, here I am podcasting away. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about you know why you may be dismissed by your healthcare provider when you go to them with questions or concerns about perimenopause and menopause, understanding your labs, and particularly about hormone therapy. So I told you a little about that in the teaser in the opening. So we're going to be talking all about that today. But one other thing I wanted to just kind of note is, um, I don't know if you follow the Elizabeth Holmes case. Um, And quick refresher, if you don't, Elizabeth Holmes is the former CEO of Theranos. Uh, She started this company when she dropped out of Stanford and uh, wanted to revolutionize uh, blood testing. And her idea for her company was to uh, get rid of phlebotomy and use finger prick Uh, blood testing instead. Anyways, as you may know, she was um, on trial uh, for wire fraud, uh, defrauding patients, and a couple other, I believe there was like 12 uh, charges uh, that the government brought against her. And she was found guilty on four charges of wire fraud, uh, not guilty on four charges of defrauding patients, and then three or four of the charges were dropped since the jury could not come to a unanimous conclusion. And I've been following this trial for a really long time. And I think what interested me and so many people around the world about this trial was at the core was really, to me, an ethics issue. And especially when dealing with information that's pertinent to patients and people. Uh, And for Silicon Valley, it's the ethics of, you know, stretching the truth about what your company is really doing. Uh, This has really been a landmark trial. I've just been watching it so closely and the news just broke on her guilty verdict. And I'm just sort of, yeah, interested to see sort of how this will play out as we go into the future uh, and thinking about how we uh, use revolutionary medical techniques and science breakthroughs 
and how we portray those to patients uh, through the media and as well as through investors, since many great ideas start as a startup. Anyways, moving on to the topic for this episode is, you know, why are you dismissed by your doctor when you bring up your midlife concerns? And I would be really starting from a, a really terrible place if we didn't start with the fact that most of this is rooted in miseducation, missed opportunities in both medical school and residency training. And I think that this has to be first. This is really the core of where the disinformation and the misinformation and the dismissiveness starts. So if I take you back to just my own personal experience, what I learned in medical school about menopause and midlife, I really think nothing, like nothing comes to mind other than maybe just the definition was used and thrown around. And anyone who's not even going to medical school knows that menopause pretty much means your periods stop. But I really don't think there was much talk about what it meant physiologically, what uh, about the pharmacology of uh, treatment options for menopausal symptoms, really nothing. Now, Instead, I do have one memory burned into my brain and it was a lunch lecture and, you know, lunch lectures in medical school are basically, you know, here's free pizza uh, and come listen to this. Not uh, necessary, you know, not in your educational agenda, but uh, probably pretty interesting lecture, right? So it wasn't even mandatory. It was a lunch lecture, and it was somebody who must have done some kind of role on the women's health study. And if you have not heard about the women's health study, that must mean this is your first podcast episode of mine because I talk about the WHI, which I call it for short, all the time. It was a landmark trial, started in the late 1990s, ended in the early 2000s. That really started or typified the myths about hormone therapy. And and really had less to do with the study itself in some ways and more just the way the results were handled and dismantled. All right. So this lunch lecture was somebody, I can't even remember who, I know it was a woman and she was either an investigator, maybe she was a lead investigator. It's so funny, I can't even remember who it was, but I think she was a graduate of my medical school. Um... And I went to SUNY Upstate Medical University and it now has, I think, a couple of different names. But anyways, it's the medical school in Syracuse, New York. It's interesting where I also did my undergrad education and got a double major in biology and women's studies. Surprise, surprise. She came to tell our class all about how she was so interested in participating in this study because in the 80s and 90s, it was the gold standard to give women estrogen after menopause. And she was just so shocked and excited to learn that hormone therapy was dangerous and, you know, was really the message I remember hearing. And again, remember, I was probably loaded up with pepperoni at the time, but was that I can't believe we now know hormone therapy is dangerous. This is such good news that now we know that. And if we hadn't have done this amazing landmark study, we wouldn't have known that hormone therapy is so dangerous. Okay. Just like most med students, and I ask a lot of med students or residents what they learned about menopause or hormone therapy in medical school, and they will either say, you know, that, well, we learned hormone therapy is not first-line treatment or hormone therapy is, you know, kind of dangerous or has a lot of risks. That's usually what they say, right? So they're 
immediate connotation of their immediate thought is that this is harmful or they'll say not that much more recently some of the um, internal medicine residents where I teach and where I work at the Brigham and Women's Hospital uh, will tell me oh well I've heard that hormone therapy can be okay if you're close to the age of menopause so I, I wonder if they are getting some a little bit more of a broader education which is awesome to start to think about but you know when I was in medical school and that must have been 2006 or 2008. So not more than a few years after the initial results of the WHI were released in 2003, that was really the message that hormone therapy is dangerous and harmful. Now, in terms of what I learned in internal medicine residency, actually, you know, if you don't know, I did a year of OBGYN at Case Western. uh, And then after I realized that I didn't like surgery or staying up at night, I switched to internal medicine. So I'm board certified in internal medicine. And through that four years, one year of OB and three years of internal medicine, I didn't learn terribly much about menopause. I learned the mantra that most residents also learn, which is the teeniest, tiniest, eensiest, weensiest dose. If you absolutely, truly need it for menopausal symptoms, you can use hormone therapy after you've tried every single antidepressants under the sun and you have to stop as super, super soon as you can. That was the message. That was the message I remember learning in my internal medicine residency. And I remember this so clearly because when I went to do my fellowship training at Cleveland Clinic, uh, I was floored. I was floored when I started reading the literature on menopausal symptoms and the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy. Now, I don't have time to go into all of that. That isn't the point of this episode, but I have incredible podcast episodes on that. Specifically, you can scroll back to the one I did on the WHI um, and the safety and efficacy of hormone therapy. I've done many, many on those. Um, They're sort of scattered throughout all 100 episodes that I have. But that's not lost on me. The fact that I was studying women's health from college through medical school, one year of OBGYN and three years of internal medicine uh, at, you know, prestigious places. Uh, I didn't hear a lick of what I learned in my, you know, specialty women's health fellowship. And there are not that many uh, fellows who do women's health fellowship. There are not that many doctors, specifically young doctors who are looking at you know, menopause so closely who are thinking about and reading about and studying about and talking about and dreaming about, you know, menopause and its treatment. In my book, the first line treatment should be hormone therapy because we know it's very safe and effective, especially for women who start within 10 years of menopause. But if you don't get that kind of special education that I did, which I know 99% of amazing and talented and bright and compassionate doctors receive or don't receive, you are going to be in a bad position already when your patients ask you about it. So I had to start and spend the first like eight minutes really setting that stage for you because I do want to take the blame off of your specific provider and really shift it to the fact that the medical education system has failed them. And then because clinicians are humans, you know, they may develop their own defense mechanisms around handling those questions or those uh, comments or concerns that patients raise. All right. So I've set that stage up for you. So we know education is terrible. 
So why are they so dismissive? Well, they don't know the answers to maybe what you're asking. And I, I know, I know that sounds really tough, but listen, I could certainly find myself in that seat. And I do find myself in that seat, not when it comes to menopause, but you know, I will get questions about things. And every once in a while I will say, I really don't think I know. I will do my best to look it up or I will phone a friend or phone a colleague. But there are certainly times when I don't know. And I do think that a good approach is to say, I I really don't know. I want to look this up or work through this with you or send you to somebody who does know, but I don't feel like I'm an expert in that area. I think that's actually the most real and honest and open dialogue a physician can have with their patient if they don't know the answer. That's what I do. (laughs) So again, it happens to me too. I'm I'm certainly not perfect. Um, But if they don't know the answer, uh, they may be really dismissive. And that could be either because they're embarrassed or they're sort of scared that they're going to, you're going to find out, sorry, that, you know, they don't know. And that can sometimes bring up like imposter syndrome. Um, You know, I can certainly think back embarrassingly to some examples of when I was a a younger clinician And, and age has little to do with it other than the fact that I think I do have a pretty good growth mindset so I can mature enough to get to the point where I can say to my patient, I'm not sure that I know the answer to that. But I can think back a few years ago where, you know, if I didn't know an answer to something, I might kind of get a little either defensive or deflective and maybe try to move the uh, conversation to something that I felt more comfortable answering. I can't think of an example right off the top of my head, uh, but certainly I I feel as though I've, I've probably been in that situation. And so one of the things a clinician may do if they don't know the answer, and again, I really saying this from, you know, experiences deflect or dismiss. This is where those dismissive comments come in such as, Oh, well, you know, we all go through menopause. Well, there's really nothing you can do. Um, there isn't really no good. There's no treatments for menopause. Menopause is natural, so you don't really need to treat it. Or my least favorite, well, you're going to have to suffer through these symptoms anyways. So if we start you on treatment, it's just going to be awful when we take you off. Or another one I really dislike, well, you can only be on treatment for so long or so many years. And so, you know, why bother? I have heard everything. And these are, these are all things patients have told me or, or, you know, neighbors or family members. And again, I think these could be rooted in not really knowing the answers because of course, uh, to all of those, I can certainly have a rebuttal, right? We know that hormone therapy is safe. We know that it's effective. We know that there's no longer a time limit to hormone therapy, uh, sort of, you know, correcting the statement that I learned in my residency at Case Western, you know, this idea that the teeniest, tiniest, eensiest, species dose for as short as humanly possible, that's not really true. In fact, NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, and ACOG, the American College of OBGYN, you know, both say that there's no longer any specific time limit. And Guidelines say to use the lowest effective dose, but the lowest effective dose that works, not the lowest effective dose that doesn't 
actually work for you. So all of those dismissive statements, kind of trying to just move the conversation along probably has to do with the fact that your clinician doesn't know the answers or definitely hasn't had re-education since learning things, you know, be it at this point, almost 20 years ago. Little plug here. If you want help, Talking to your doctor about hormone therapy and you feel confused or you feel stuck or you're dealing with a clinician who is potentially undereducated and uh, you want help, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. That's where you get to work with me and I help support you and walk you through getting exactly what you need from your provider exactly where you are if coming to see me in Boston is a little bit of a trip. The Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass is such an excellent opportunity to work with me at home and at your own pace. And if you want more information, there's going to be a link in the description below this podcast. So what's another reason that you may sort of be dismissed? Well, your clinician may be afraid that you know more than they do. And again, the same sort of defense mechanisms are going to come to play that may make them a little fearful because they may not be able to continue to engage in that conversation with you. And again, the fear is, you know, just as, as you would be afraid to be found out that you didn't know something when you were supposed to, you know, and so they may try to scare you. They may use scare tactics if they feel afraid uh, that they can't can't carry out that conversation. Um, I can't think of any specific example of a young Dr. Heather Hirsch being afraid. I've always been very, I've always actually, I think, embraced the fact that people know more than me and listening to them just helps me learn. And so I can't really think of a time where I responded to somebody with like a fear-based tactic, but I I can certainly see that happening because a lot of clinicians um, have told my patients fear-based responses such as, well, hormone therapy is going to give you breast cancer. Well, you can't use that because your mother had a heart attack. Don't you have strokes in your family? You can't use hormone therapy. You have high blood pressure, so you're not a candidate for hormone therapy. All of those that I just rattled off are all incorrect. And there's more and more and more and more that fall along that line of your your clinician kind of just trying to, to, to scare you. This may also bleed into the next point about why you may get dismissed is that some providers have deep-rooted biases against hormone therapy. And you know what it goes back to? That lunch lecture. Because they all probably had some version of that lunch lecture that I had in 2007 or 2008, where they were sat down and told, well, isn't this incredible that we know that hormone therapy is so dangerous now? And now you know that. Oh my goodness, you know, thank goodness for randomized controlled trials. If we hadn't have done this randomized controlled trial, we would have no idea that that hormone therapy increased the risks of heart attacks and strokes and breast cancer. And so they all remember that lunch lecture. Now, 20 years have passed and there have sort of been tricklings or, you know, sort of uh, people starting to speak up or ask questions or think about hormone therapy again. And as someone who lives in this world, really deeply in this world, and I give talks all the time, I do think people are starting to see the pendulum swinging back again, especially like those interns um, and young residents at my hospital, they'll say, well, 
isn't it true that you can use hormone therapy if you're close to menopause and you're pretty healthy? Aha. They're getting a little bit closer. There's definitely the pendulum is swinging. That's that's kind of what we're seeing. But if you're not receptive to that message, if you don't want to learn about menopause, if you don't want to learn about hormone therapy, if you don't have any interest in prescribing hormone therapy, if you're so busy doing, you know, asthma and high blood pressure and vaccination statuses and prior authorizations and all the things that doctors have to do, because trust me, again, God, remember my thesis here is that it's the medical education that is the root of all this. But if you're inundated with all of that, you know, you, you still may have a deep rooted bias that you just, you know, you can't see and you may not have the time, the energy, the money, the interest or the resources to work through it. So how would you work through a bias around hormone therapy? Well, I'm not sure I know the answers to everything, yet I, I'm the one who poses the questions to myself and like in this room by myself and then I'm left to answer them. But I think that, you know, actually just picking up a few journal articles and reading through them would be really enough to help you see that, you, help you undo those biases and I think a great response for someone may be, well, I'm not sure what to do in this situation, but I do you know, know that there is now more of a thought process behind the safety of hormone therapy for younger women who are healthy. I'm going to send you to somebody who can help you. Um, I think that's actually a big step forward if, if that's the first step that we take. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, universities, private practices are uh, seeking out more CME or continuing medical education on menopause management and hormone therapy. Now, just a side note, uh, you know, really, it doesn't have to only be hormone therapy. It's just that that is the area where most clinicians have the biggest gap in education. So whenever I give presentations, I probably spend 80% of the time talking about hormone therapy because they do know the antidepressants to prescribe that are used off-label to help symptoms. So that's why I really tie these in very closely, but I really always really want to relay the message that it doesn't mean that everyone needs or everyone should take hormone therapy. It's an individual choice based on your medical history and your symptoms, uh, but I tie them closely together because, you know, of the non-hormonal options for menopause management, most clinicians know that they can prescribe a low-dose antidepressant to help with symptoms. Now, that's a whole other reason you might feel dismissed is that you go to your doctor and your doctor gives you an antidepressant. And for many people, that is very, very triggering. And there's lots of things to unpack about that, right? Just the idea that you're going to get a medication to increase your serotonin, or maybe you're even outwardly told that they think you're depressed, because um, you certainly could be depressed and you could have a mood-based menopause. But then to go home and get an antidepressant, especially if you were thinking about or you wanted to have a conversation on hormone therapy, didn't quite go that way. That's another reason uh, that so many women feel so utterly dismissed by their clinicians. Now, I've been making really broad generalizations. And for as many horror stories as I hear, there are also many amazing success stories. And I know there are many amazing clinicians 
like myself who prescribe and manage and consult on hormone therapy. It's more likely that what I hear is this uh, more dismissed side of things since people are, and women patients are typically seeing me as a consultant or as a second opinion after they maybe have already asked another clinician. But I'm also aware that that is sort of a biases in just the types of stories that I will hear during the day. And I truly hope that your experience is different. And again, I know I've said this multiple times throughout this specific show, but I really want the blame to not be placed on the shoulders of the clinician, but really shifted to the medical education system. And what we need to do is buffer. We need to expand and we need to impose a sense of urgency that the the powers that be who decide what medical students and residents learn includes much more information about menopause and its intersection with uh, chronic diseases and aging and how it can be treated. Not just non-hormonal therapy, but hormone therapy and the evidence-based reasons behind using it and its safety. So that's what I'm all about. If you don't already know, I'm also creating a CME course uh, this year uh, through Harvard Medical School on how to prescribe and manage hormone therapy. And I swear this was like, this is like a natural plug. I actually wasn't even thinking about putting this here. If you are a clinician and you are interested in getting on my email list just to receive updates about when that's going to be available, feel free to follow me over on Instagram at hormone.health.doc and just send me a DM that you listen to the show and thank you and that you would love to be notified for when the course is available. I'm going to be making it available for MDs, DOs, NPs, and hopefully PAs and pharmacists, um, essentially those folks who prescribe. So I'm really excited and I will keep you updated on how that process is going. Next week, I am going to have my friend and guest on the show, uh, Missy Gallo. She is a doctor of physical therapy. She's been on the show before. It's been a long time since I've had her back on, and I cannot wait. We are going to be podcasting later this week, so I imagine her episode will be up next week. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I appreciate your reviews and your stars and comments on the show. I will see you guys next week for a brand new episode. Till then, bye everyone. Thank you for spending your time with me. If you love the show, please go ahead and give it a star or review. I thank you in advance.